Today is June 9th, 2020, as I record this. Much of my social media has been on pause as I stop and listen since the murder of George Floyd, which has led to protests that have erupted across the United States and now around the world over police brutality, the Black Lives Matter movement, and racism. I think that at times like these, we could still use positive stories of people doing good in the world, which is why we decided to release a new episode this week. We are working on a future episode that will be a conversation about much of the social unrest that we are now experiencing. Stay tuned for news about that episode. You're listening to Talking Taiwan with your host, Felicia Lin. My guest on today's episode of Talking Taiwan is Gary Rello. He is one of the people spearheading the PPE Relief Initiative to supply 400 healthcare workers with PPE relief kits. To meet this goal, the PPE Relief Initiative is running a crowdfunding campaign on GoFundMe to raise $30,000. Gary is an entrepreneur in the tech startup and restaurant industry, a founding board member of the Promise Society, and a COVID-19 survivor. He's one of the first people that I've known to have had COVID-19. I remember seeing his Facebook post, which was a very well-documented account of the symptoms he experienced and the meds that he took to combat COVID-19. I wanted to ask Gary onto the podcast to share what he's been through in dealing with COVID-19 and all the amazing work that he's now doing with the PPE Relief Initiative. Welcome to the podcast, Gary. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, so, Gary, um, before we get into the whole PPE uh, relief initiative, I wanted you to talk to me a little bit about um, your experience having had COVID, because I understand that you actually went through that whole thing. Like, um, when did you start having symptoms? What was your experience like um, dealing with that? Yeah, so I was one of the um, members that got infected very early on in America, especially in New York City, in mid-March, I believe it was March 12th, was when mm-hmm. I suspected I got uh, infected with COVID. And, you know, there are severe uh, instances where people were suffering symptoms that were mild. I was kind of like in between, mm-hmm. where I was more moderate. Uh, exhibited a lot of the classic symptoms, uh, difficulty breathing, almost uh, four days straight of fevers, Ranging wow. from 101 to 104, uh, chronic coughing for almost two weeks, <clears throat> and then some of the more secondary symptoms like loss of smell, loss of taste, um, and uh, yeah, it was really scary, uh, especially because uh, because we were I was, I was one of the earlier I was part of that earlier wave. No one had idea no idea what to expect. Uh, we were kind of like in the dark as to um, how long the symptoms were going to be. And because I was in the dark, one of the more concerned symptoms that I had was also a lot of anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. You know, of like mm-hmm. being scared, like, am I going to die? You know? Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, fortunately, I was able to start recovering after maybe suffering two weeks worth of symptoms. Wow. Uh, I uh, remember praying to God. <laughs> and I'm not really the, the most religious type. But I remember yeah. praying to God. I was like, if he can get me through this, I'll be a better person. And the the day that I the day the day that I could finally breathe again, I remember going outside, and I was on Facetime with one of my best friends who was really mm-hmm. there for me the entire time. And when I had the when I felt the sun hit my face, 
I honestly felt that's what it was like to um, kind of like feel God's love, if you want to call it that way. I just broke down uh, crying, you know? Uh, and uh, yeah, it was quite a journey, but that's kind of like a, a very rated PG version of what I experienced. <laughs> I'm sure now, were, were you um, completely isolated or were you with any family or friends as you went through this? Yeah, so ironically, I was telling myself, I'm going to stay in my apartment the entire time, and I live in New York City in the Upper West Side. Right. And my parents were imploring me, hey, why don't you come home? Why don't you come home? Just before we realized I had COVID. And I was like, no, no, I'm going to stay in my apartment. But then when uh, when Governor Cuomo said that non-essential travel was going to be limited, I was like, wow, I should probably head over to my parents' place. Yeah. So we created a system where I was going to stay in my parents' basement, stay there for two weeks, quarantine myself for two weeks, and if I'm okay, mm -hmm. then, uh, you know, I can mingle with them a little bit more. Obviously, still practice social distancing, wear a mask. Mm -hmm. And guess what? The next day, I got the fever. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I can't believe I have COVID. And wow. uh, so what happened was, obviously, once we found out that I, that I was suffering from COVID symptoms, I never mm -hmm. got tested, by the way, um, mm -hmm. for a lot of reasons. Which oh, it's so early there. at that point, too. Exactly. Um, we uh, made sure to have a system in place where my parents would cook my food, they would mm -hmm. bring it to the middle of the stairs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they would like uh, walk back, spray the air with a uh, with a uh, you know spray of Lysol. Wow! And I would like open up my door, <laughs> go up the stairs, get my food, and Aww. that was essentially how I was uh, eating. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it was it was pretty intense, um, but I'm sure we can talk more about it if you want to. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, I just thought there would be something interesting to uh, share with my listeners so, so to know what it's like to go through that. Um, thank you for sharing that. Um, I've certainly heard, um, you know, it's such a difficult thing to go through when people have to be go through isolation and their family or friends or loved ones can't be there for them. I can't imagine what it would be like if you were on your own at home. Yeah. Um, I mean, in your it, apartment. Was, it was definitely a challenge for me because mm -hmm. I almost felt a certain sense of guilt that I got sick. Why? And I, and I almost didn't want to tell anyone. Uh, uh, of the people that I had contact with two mm -hmm. weeks prior to me finding out, yeah. obviously it was the responsible thing to let them know. Yes. yes. Hey, I think I have COVID. I just wanted to let you know since we saw each other, uh, mm -hmm. you know, like a week ago. But mm -hmm. outside of uh, outside of those individuals that I had interactions with, I almost didn't want to tell anyone that I had COVID because I almost felt uh, that I was, maybe I could have done, I could have been more, more responsible. Mm. But the reality was, was that I did everything I could <laughs> not to get right. sick. Right. And I didn't want to alarm any other family knowing that I was in the same household as my parents. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and that was a really big fear for me as well, too. Like, right. like yeah, I'm suffering symptoms, and I was doing my best to, to be tough. And But at the end of the day, what was really killing me was the fear that I was going to get my mom sick or my dad sick. Yes. You know? Yeah, I can't even imagine what that's like because, yeah, you know, our parents are in the age group. Yeah. Um, but I want to thank you very much for your openness and your courageousness because you actually shared very openly about your experience on Facebook and um, in a public post, and that was shared 
among a lot of people and I think it was very helpful because you detailed what you went through and how you recovered and I think it gave a lot of people um, some hope and some good information and to be aware of like what could possibly happen. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, it was that was definitely part of my motivation uh, was to, again, I talked about how there was a certain anxiety of not knowing anything, right? Yeah. And I remember vividly the day I started to, to document my experience while I was suffering uh, uh, in my in the basement, <laughs> so to speak. And it was the day that Andrew Cuomo said, uh, we are New York tough. I'm going to get through this. And I was, that was kind of like my rallying cry. I was like, yeah, I'm going to be tough about mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to be smart about this as well, too. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> as a way to kind of like combat some of the mental effects of the physical symptoms I was experiencing, I wanted to create a system where I would document my medication to make sure that I was taking it at a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's nothing that, that you can take to cure you from COVID-19. Right. But I will say that, you know, some of the Tylenol was helpful for me. Mm -hmm. Some of the cough medicine mm -hmm. kind of helped. So I mm -hmm. wanted to create some type of order to kind of make sense of the of the craziness that was happening around me. Uh, so by keeping a diary of my symptoms, it kind of created structure while I was, mm -hmm. you know, going through some crazy stuff. Uh, but of course, uh, the main thing was, I know I'm going to get through this, or hopefully. And if I could be, uh, you know, a source of information for people who will also experience what I was experiencing, then perhaps this, uh, this note can kind of minimize some of the anxiety that they may have. And it was crazy, yeah, you know, a lot of people um, commented and, and were liking the post and sharing the post. Uh, but what you didn't see was the amount of private messages I got. I think I, mm -hmm. yeah. I think I know 50 people, 50 friends of mine or their friends got mm -hmm. COVID and reached out to me. Wow. And really? it was a little overwhelming, but I felt the responsibility to talk with them. Yeah. And again, it was really just what I was explaining before. There was just a lot of emotional anxiety. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm sick. Am I going to die? And I, you know, at first I, I always preface, I'm not a medical professional. Yeah. Make sure to talk to your doctor. Yeah. Advice. But here's what I did for my symptoms. Right. Here's what I did to normalize my breathing. Here's right. what I did to, uh, to combat uh, the fevers. You know, here's yeah. what I did. Here's, here's how I was laying in bed to help me breathe better. You know, so that many people reached out to you, and a lot. Some of them had COVID symptoms, or were going through it as yeah. well. <clears throat> so a majority mm -hmm. of the people that reached out to me yeah. were suffering symptoms. Wow! And then there were also people whose family members or friends had also had COVID. Wow! And they reached out to me to try to get some information or some insight. Right, or right, share with right, their friends. right. Mm -hmm. uh, But it was it was interesting because aside from just the information that I was sharing. I think they're mm -hmm. also just looking for some type of emotional support, someone that they, that can sympathize their position. Yeah, right, because you've been through it. Yeah, yeah. that's so... And that's, again, knowing that I was a, pretty much the first of my friends or among the first mm -hmm, of my friends to get mm -hmm, it, I had mm -hmm. no one that could sympathize with where I was. So I felt alone in that sense. I did not yeah. want anyone else to kind of feel what I was feeling because right. it sucked. <laughs> yeah, it sucked, yeah. You know? Yeah. There's so much that we don't know about it. I tried to listen to um, as many and read as many sources as I can. Uh, recently, I've been hearing a lot about how there are some um, 
possibly mental effects. Um, and I think that's especially for people who are hospitalized because when they're hospitalized, there's a really high um, sense of isolation because you do have to be isolated. And I think that does something to you psychologically. So they're saying that there are some people who have some symptoms even after recovering um, health-wise, but they may have some um mental health issues um, dealing with um, the isolation or we don't know if it's related to the isolation per se or COVID uh, doing something to people psychologically. So yeah, it's important to think about that side of um, this whole thing as well. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, but I, I, will, I will definitely say I'm very fortunate to have had, um, you know, two awesome parents yeah. uh, helping me, uh, you know, as I was going through my symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I uh, have a lot of awesome friends that were checking up on me, and mm-hmm. that's what prompted me to download Zoom <laughs> for the first mm-hmm. time. So just, uh, it was just to talk to my friends, and uh, yeah. really awesome. Yeah. But I definitely agree with you. There are other individuals out there that you know were not as lucky, and uh, my heart goes out to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, hopefully, New York City. In the world, for that matter, has seen the worst of what COVID has, but we'll see because you know, second wave and all. Who who knows what will happen? Yeah, yeah, and I get the sense that by you um, documenting your journey, that probably also gave you some hope or something to focus on outside of the anxiety and the uncertainty that you felt as you're going through it. Yeah, definitely. I uh, the unfortunate part was that. A lot of my friends, uh, I, would, I shouldn't say a lot of my friends, but a few of my friends, their parents got sick. Oh, dear. And they were obviously more at risk, mm. uh, had pre-existing conditions that uh, made them more vulnerable, high blood mm-hmm. pressure, diabetes, mm-hmm. 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 Um, and uh, to say the least, early April was a very tough month for, yeah. for a lot of people, especially for me. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know. That experience and of dealing that morning uh, for others, as well as like you know, I had a family member who also passed away because of COVID. Oh, I'm sorry. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I know you you kind of like segued the introduction of of the PP relief initiative that I was working on, mm-hmm. but I can definitely recall that moment where I hit a breaking point when I had. Uh, you know, a friend of mine, a really good friend of mine, his, uh, unfortunately, both he, both his mom and his dad, both had COVID. Oh, boy. Uh, he had COVID. And oh, his boy. And had COVID. Oh, my. And they're all nurses. Oh, boy. And a lot of, as, uh, I'm not sure if your listeners are aware of the trend amongst professional choices amongst Filipinos, Filipino-Americans, mm-hmm. but a lot of mm-hmm. Filipino-Americans are nurses or, or mm-hmm. healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. 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 So a combination of a few things. Number one, I have seven first cousins or their spouses are healthcare workers. Wow. Uh, a couple of them had got COVID, but fortunately they were able to recover. Mm-hmm. A lot of my friends are Filipino. Right. So, uh, of course, a lot of them were exposed to COVID and some of them got, got, got infected. And their mm-hmm. family also happened to have COVID. On top of the fact that I put out this publish this public note mm-hmm. telling everyone I had COVID, but here's what I did to, uh, mm-hmm. to kind of combat mm-hmm. it. This mm-hmm. really wasn't any surprise why I was able to know so many people that got COVID. Mm-hmm. So um, 
as I was saying before, I remember the the point when I had a, that breaking point when I found out about the bad news about my 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 parents, uh, my friend's parents. Right. Uh, unfortunately, his dad passed, but his mom made a recovery. Thank mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Um, I was depressed. I, I it was funny because it was almost like a roller coaster of emotions for me. Sure. The, the day I recover from COVID, I'm so happy. I have like this this like uh, filter uh, uh, that I had over my eyes that I'm like I'm so great, grateful for everything. I'm grateful yeah. for breathing. Right. I'm grateful for being able to go to the bathroom without worrying about <laughs> about you know uh, feeling like as if I was like drowning. You know, like wow. uh, the the difficulty of breathing was was terrible. Oh, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm talking to you right now on this podcast, and I'm, you can see me sitting up. I could not mm-hmm. do this for more than five seconds when I wow. I was drowning, like I said before. <clears throat> so I felt so grateful to have recovered. Yes. And then all the this entire wave of bad news started to come, you know. <sighs> and that feeling of positivity that I had went back down to a certain level of depression. And yeah. when I hit my low point. No, and this is also knowing that a lot of my cousins were exposed, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was just so scared for them. I told mm-hmm. myself I have to do something, you know. Right. And right. once I felt recovered, I felt this. Uh, I felt this. Uh, this responsibility to try to protect my cousins, you know, because I'm 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 older amongst yeah. my amongst my generation of cousins. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. My mom always told me, you know, if you have an opportunity to do good, you do it. So I made a few phone calls, and it was going to actually took me my second phone call, and I was able to find uh, boxes of N95 masks wow. that uh, I can get for free. It was donated by this organization, wow. and I took all that all that N95s I put into my car, and I just mm-hmm. drove to all my cousins' houses to drop off wow. uh, N95s. And I and I'm, I don't want to sh- like I'm not trying to make myself like sound awesome or anything like that. But I just no. want to like, share with your listeners like if you have the opportunity to do good, you should do it. Absolutely. So Absolutely. After I felt after I felt good about helping out my cousins. Mm-hmm. I said, okay, who's next? I have a lot of friends who are nurses and doctors. Yeah, yeah. I think I can help them out. And that was when uh, I publicized again on Facebook this new mission that I have. And because a lot of people were following my COVID journey, they were also following yeah. this PPE journey. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people were giving me leads as to how to get uh, PPE, uh, mm-hmm. protective equipment. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met my co-founder, or not met my co-founder, but that was when my co-founder and I realized we had the same mission. So just a little bit about my co-founder, Dr. Joanne Kwan. Uh, yes. She's amazing. Uh, she uh, She's a board-certified internal medicine physician, and she just graduated from a Lenox Hill uh, residency program over uh-huh. in uh, Midtown East or Upper East Side. Uh-huh. Um, but um, before the pandemic started, she was actually taking some time off uh, for, for some personal reasons. Mm-hmm. And when um, the pandemic happened, uh, she tried to, you know, uh, she, uh, you know, wanted to see how she can help. And she was also, while, while she was also trying to get PPE for her colleagues. I see. And she started in mid-March, pretty much the first week of the pandemic. Okay. And I reached out to her in early April when a friend of mine told me, hey, you should reach out to Joanne. She's kind of doing what you're doing. Okay. And I sent her like, this really long email. <laughs> and guess what? She replied back to me with an even longer email. Wow. So, right. <laughs> her insights as to what she's been doing and what she wants to do and how how she's uh, 
succeeding in some areas and how she's struggling in others. Uh-huh. And I was like, wow, this person and I, we may have uh, some similar uh, goals. And I was like, so you guys hadn't met before. This is this is your no, first we, exchange. We, 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 we were friends, but we were more like more than anything else. Sure. Uh, okay. I haven't seen her. I, the last I saw her was probably 2016, you know. Oh, wow. Um, at a friend's okay. wedding. Uh, okay. But then after we exchanged emails, we literally uh, met up uh, virtually <laughs> on Zoom. And uh, of course. We, we were pretty much just created our, our game plan as to what to do. And that's how the PPE Relief Initiative was founded. That's so amazing. What, we are, what, what our mission behind the organization is to build PPE supply kits that mm-hmm. uh, is up to eight items. So mm-hmm. reusable respirators, reusable gowns, reusable surgical caps, mm-hmm. face shields, mm-hmm. protective goggles, protective glasses, mm-hmm. hand sanitizers, uh, and uh, ear savers. Mm-hmm. The reason why we wanted to have a diverse range of PPE yeah. was because the initial focus of a lot of philanthropic efforts to get PPE into the hands of healthcare workers mm-hmm. just on N95 masks for good reason. Right. But the the problem is that healthcare workers aren't facing a shortage of N95 masks. They're experiencing a shortage in whole, all types of PPE. So we decided to create a supply kit that was diverse in the selection Mm-hmm. that can be responsive to the needs of the healthcare worker. We wanted to be uh, strategic in selecting reusable uh, PPE, so therefore right. uh, it can last a little bit longer than disposable uh, yeah. PPE. Because mm-hmm. right now a lot of disposable PPE is being reused at hospitals. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah. the longer you're using uh, that type of uh, supply, the more at risk you're going to be. Right, yeah, I'm sure it degrades. Yeah, Yeah. so uh, we spent a lot of time trying to reach out to suppliers, and we have a lot of rows in our CRM (laughs) that we built out to to reach out, but it was a combination of hard work and a lot of luck that enabled us to um, get, uh, to secure really quality PPE. And because uh, our goal was to help as many people as we could, we, we recognized we could not uh, get it on our own accord in regards to our own ability to buy stuff. So we were like, hey, let's start a, a GoFundMe uh-huh. to get our friends and our community to help us purchase even more PPE. Because our, uh-huh. our original goal was to support only 100 healthcare workers. Now our goal is to support 400 wow. uh, as our first phase. And so we launched our GoFundMe with the goal of raising 30000 and I'm really mm-hmm. happy to say that uh, we are approaching the $18,000 mark. Congratulations. Uh, thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, and we actually started doing deliveries, uh, official deliveries last week. Oh, wow. Uh, we've done already, we've already uh, uh, delivered to 50 healthcare workers. We have almost mm-hmm. over 200 healthcare workers that already signed up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we're really excited to be able to deliver to them. Wow. Um, so can you tell me a little bit more about your process or about um, what kind of challenges and what, what have been some, some of the highlights of doing this work? Yeah, definitely. So the very first challenge that we experienced was, number one, what do the healthcare workers need? And we wanted to be very data-centric in our approach. Mm-hmm. So how, what we did was that we created uh, a comprehensive survey uh, that 
helped us identify what are the things that healthcare workers need, what were the things that healthcare workers did not need. For mm-hmm. example, we assumed that we were going to have uh, gloves mm-hmm. as part of our supply kit. Mm-hmm. Almost 90% of healthcare workers were saying they were good on gloves. So we're like, okay, great, okay. save money and, and, not yeah, buy, yeah, yeah. and not buy gloves. Uh, okay. We didn't realize that hand sanitizer was a big shortage. And when we had the data indicating to us, yeah, you should include hand sanitizers as your supply kit, we spent time to try to find suppliers that that, uh, met our goals. So understanding what we needed to buy was the first challenge. The second challenge, as I was alluding to, was finding the the appropriate supplier. So one of the challenges that all buyers of PPE are, are finding, A, a lot of the supply is being charged at ridiculous uh, prices now. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of price gouging that was occurring. Yeah. Uh, Number two, there was a lot of risk of you purchasing fraudulent products or quality uh, products. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to make sure that we did our due diligence yeah. to, uh, to uh, select a supplier. So mm-hmm. we actually built out a 15-page a manual uh, to be a part of our vetting process and our due diligence. Wow. Um, oh. Part of it was um, researching their uh, registration listing on the FDA. Mm-hmm. Part of it was <clears throat> researching uh, their medical standards that, mm-hmm. that they listed and making sure that mm-hmm. it was legit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would ask for samples from the suppliers so that we can mm-hmm. personally inspect the supplies ourselves, make sure that they were, they were quality. And, oh. and also them sending out samples also showed that uh, they had the ability to fulfill. Uh, another right. factor that we considered was the issue, or rather the risk, of, of uh, international deliveries coming in to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of politics involved. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get into it too much. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm, as I'm sure some of your listeners may know, there were issues between the U.S. and China, supplies coming, uh, coming in. So we were also concerned that, hey, there might be some risk of the product that we're buying might be confiscated at customs or might mm-hmm. be stuck at customs. And we mm-hmm. may never, ever see the supplies being delivered to us. Wow. So those were some of the challenges that we, that we were facing. So because we had such a comprehensive due diligence process and we did happen to get lucky with some of the suppliers that we were able to uh, purchase PPE from, for example, mm-hmm are reusable respirators that we use. So there are N95 masks. Those are the disposable masks that a lot of your followers are probably familiar uh, yeah. with. We mm-hmm. actually use reusable respirators. They're mm-hmm. uh, you know, made of a, a certain, uh, they're almost kind of like those half masks that you see. Uh, they have mm-hmm. uh, filters that are on there. And the filters mm-hmm. that we use are actually called P100s. Okay. So N95s protect against 95% of particles. Right. Right. P100s uh, protect up to 99.99997%. Okay. And the P designation also shows that also is uh, oil, uh, protects against oil substances as well. Uh-huh. So the P100s mm-hmm. are actually superior to the N95s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what made, it even, uh, uh, what made it even more awesome, these were reusable respirators that came from 3M itself. So 3M uh-huh. is pretty much the industry standard for a lot of yeah. PPE. Yes. So the most important part of our supply kit happened to be uh, uh, from the most reputable supplier or manufacturer, and they had a certain designation that was uh, more superior to what a lot of healthcare workers were already having. So that was a really big home run for us. 
That's great. Uh, we decided to go uh, to, to purchase supply from a lot of domestic suppliers. Uh -huh. uh, strategically, we, we chose that uh, because it was just easier for us to do our due diligence. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of the risk factors with international shipments were not included. Right. The unfortunate part, of course, was that the price point was not as affordable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because of the success of our GoFundMe, we were able to uh, overcome that that challenge. And of course, the prices that we were that we were given were not egregious. You know, they yeah. might have been higher in a in a current COVID world compared to before uh -huh. COVID, but it wasn't uh -huh. like outrageous. Otherwise, we wouldn't okay. have considered them. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, that's um, really to your credit that you guys um, develop all this protocol um, and. Also, for people to know if they like to be contributing to your campaign, what they're contributing to, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, what if you? Um, what, what? Can you tell me a little bit about your team? Because I know that you 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 probably have, you do have a whole team of people who's involved with this. It's not just you and Joanne. You've assembled a team of people that are working on the PRI, right? Yeah. So uh, obviously Joanne's background, you know, is in medicine. So a lot of our strategy as to what type of PPE we want to do. Uh, Joanne was amazing because she was the one that crafted a majority of. Actually, she crafted all of the of the due diligence mm -hmm. manual that we created. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. It's very helpful. Yeah. Uh, and my my personal experience, uh, as you alluded, I actually have uh, years of experience in the tech startup scene. Uh, I was actually going to transition to the restaurant industry, and I was going to launch my restaurant, <laughs> or rather, uh, my food cart, uh, doing Filipino sandwiches uh, mm -hmm. this year, this summertime. But then, yeah, things changed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because of my experience, uh, I was able to provide insight on, on operations, strategic planning, pretty much just building that infrastructure for uh, for us to, to work off of for PRI. Uh, fortunately. A lot of our volunteers that are helping us are friends of Joanne and I. Okay. So they have a very like diverse range of skills, professional backgrounds, but we were all united because uh, obviously we all wanted to do our part to help protect the healthcare workers. Yeah. So people from finance, from marketing, um, social media, uh, people that have uh, a, that have experience in logistics operations. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. that have that a lot of them also had experience with nonprofits in the past mm -hmm. uh, volunteering uh, and these are all people that I trust so yeah yeah that's important yeah so we we were able to move fast uh, I believe our team is now up to 15 volunteers including wow. Joanne and I that's amazing. amazing yeah and like you know um, from getting the PPE to assembling it into a supply kit to shipping it out it's all a team effort you know yeah and, even though I'm doing a lot of the deliveries myself. So mm -hmm. one thing mm -hmm. I should note is that we we actually made the decision to deliver the supply kit directly to the healthcare worker. Mm -hmm. We didn't want to deliver to the hospital and I'll tell you why. We wanted to get we wanted to give the healthcare worker immediate access to the supply kit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we wanted to help avoid any type of bureaucratic um, scenario where the PPE that the hospital received, you know, we don't want it to just stay in a cabinet somewhere. So we decided to take the approach of just delivering straight to the healthcare worker. And that's not as scalable as you would imagine. <laughs> uh, but we also feel that it was important that for these 400 healthcare workers that we can get it to them as fast as possible. So having people uh, that are, are organized, that have a logistics background, 
they essentially help build the the plan of action for the delivery logistics, and I just help out with the last mile, bringing it right. to the health worker. But, right. uh, all of that is a team effort. So, so the four hundred uh, healthcare workers that you're going to be distributed to have already been selected or have applied. Yeah, so we are approaching north of two hundred requests. Okay. Okay, so there's room for people to apply. Oh yeah, yeah. So if okay. you if uh, if you are a healthcare worker that live or work in the New York, New Jersey metropolitan area, if you have patients or if you are in a COVID nineteen environment at work, mm-hmm. uh, you qualify as a as a recipient for the supply uh, for the supply kit. So for your listeners, if you are a healthcare worker or if you know a healthcare worker, uh, simply go to PPE relief.org slash apply A-P-P-L-Y and there's uh, essentially a, a feedback form or a request form I should say. Mm-hmm. Fill in all your information and then we uh, take a step-by-step process. Uh, mm-hmm. We uh, After we receive your request, we analyze the information that you, that you provided. So we are, we're looking for how many hours are you working? You know, what, what department are you working at? Um, what is your current PPE usage rate? You know, are you reusing PPE? Are you disposing it um, on a daily basis? Are you still using the same N95 masks you've had the last two mm-hmm. weeks? And mm-hmm. then we essentially uh, prioritize the healthcare workers that are that uh, that have requested PPE. So if you are in good shape and you are you have a, a really uh, big surplus of PPE at your hospital. Uh-huh. Probably push you uh, towards the back of the line. Right. If you are you are if you are in desperate need, and the information says that you're in desperate need, uh, we we essentially make you priority one, and we try to get the right. out to you right. as soon as possible. Right. Right. So right. you know there's a little bit of a comprehensive effort on our end to not only vet suppliers but also to vet healthcare workers. Yes. We make sure that they're legit, and you know we we check their we check their um, their employer ID when we do the, the delivery. We do our background information, and uh, yes, it's a pretty comprehensive process. But so far, so good. And what's been yeah. what's been great is that a lot of the latest requests for PPE are actually being referred to from healthcare workers that we've already served over the past week. Right. Uh, right. Which you know, to me, I'm really proud of of that fact because it really validates our mission that healthcare Absolutely. workers that we're benefiting are receiving these supply kits. They see the quality of the supply kit. And they've now established a certain level of trust with our brand. Right. Uh, enough where they feel comfortable to tell their other colleagues or friends, hey, check these guys out. Let's see if we can, right. they can help you. Right. So that's right. just been so uh, rewarding. Um, I know you, you asked a question, like, what's been one of the challenges we're experiencing? I think bandwidth. <laughs> yeah. And time, limited time and limited energy has probably been a big challenge. Um, but you know, I, because I'm, I have nothing else to do right now since I don't have a restaurant that's going to be opening anytime soon. I pretty much made this like my 24 seven, 365. Maybe you need more volunteers to help like, uh, delegate some of the things that are taking up so much of your time and energy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. But to be honest with you, uh, mm-hmm. the volunteers we have now enabled mm-hmm. us to get to this point where we were yeah. able to go yeah. from, cause like essentially the first volunteer came in maybe late April. Uh-huh. So I want to say like May was a lot of that infrastructure building, right? Finding finding suppliers, building our processes, getting the GoFundMe to be successful or successful yeah. enough to enable us mm-hmm. to start deliveries. 
Mm-hmm. And because we can know we're still looking to raise more money. <laughs> yeah, way. of course. Uh, yeah, you know we're we're maybe uh, eleven or twelve thousand uh, dollars more to go for us to hit our goal of benefiting four hundred healthcare workers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know the the volunteers definitely helped get us to this point, and uh, you know I, I'm just really proud of like what we've been able to do, especially because of the feedback we've been getting from healthcare workers. What's been amazing is that they've been using Instagram as a way to communicate the mission that we've been doing, yeah. uh, where they'll yeah. do kind of like a an unboxing <laughs> story yeah. Yeah. of our yeah. baby supply kit, and they'll tag us, and they'll share with their friends. So, you know. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That's powerful. Yeah, so that the, the, way, the way they've been rewarding us emotionally has helped, uh, helped to widen the bandwidth, so to speak, at least when it yeah. comes to the energy, you know. Wonderful. And you're also partnered with something called the Promise Society. Could you talk a little bit about the Promise Society? We can give them a little shout out to. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Definitely. So the Promise Society uh, is a nonprofit 501c3 organization uh, that I'm also a founding board member of. Uh, And when Joanne and I were coming up with our strategy as to how we can be in a better position to, to accomplish our mission, we recognize that it would be near impossible for us to become a 501c3 right away. Yeah, yeah. But because I'm a, I'm a founding board member of an amazing organization, and by the way, mm-hmm. uh, our the mission for the Prom Society uh, is to <clears throat> dedicate our efforts to address health, educational, and social concerns in the community. So we, we wanted to make a promise uh, to benefit this organization or this initiative on a quarterly basis or on a yearly basis. And when I realized, like, wow, maybe perhaps the Prom Society can be in collaboration with with uh, the PPE Relief Initiative, I spoke to my fellow board members, mm-hmm. and, I, and I told them what, what I was up to. And I mm-hmm. wanted to make sure that when I approached the Prom Society, I wanted to act as if I was an outside organization so that there was no conflict of interest. I wanted mm-hmm. to make sure that our process passed any type of, uh, any type of test or be able to respond to any kind of questions or concerns that the Prom Society had. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so Joanne and I spent time, like, building a presentation, uh, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, all our legal was in place, mm-hmm. that we had a, a really good process to make sure that things were transparent, right. that, uh, you know, the, the money that we are trying to raise is goes directly to the healthcare worker. Mm-hmm. And after making our presentation, uh, all the board members were like, "Let's do it. Let's let's help you guys out." So Great. the Prom Society. So one of our advisors on for the Prom for the PP Relief Initiative, a board member of the Prom Society. Yeah, okay. And, uh, and she has you know such an awesome uh, experience uh, with strategic planning and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. So she's been a huge help as well too. But the Prom Society has been able to engage a lot of their community. And a lot of followers for the PP Relief Initiative, and uh, yeah, they've just been amazing. Um, okay, I would like to rewind a little bit because this is just for the benefit of my listeners. A lot of the people who are listening to this podcast probably don't know what the Promise Society is. So, do you think you could talk a little bit about like what they've done historically, even though that they may not be doing those kinds of things? But can you talk about some of the things that they did in the past? Like, I think you guys had like other charitable events and so on. Yeah, definitely. So, um, let me kind of like start from the top again. So, the Promise yes. Society likes to act as a bridge between the community and other nonprofit organizations that we're trying to connect. So mm-hmm. if, that was, if those initiatives organizations, again, fit under the umbrella of 
health, education, or social concerns. Uh, and we feel that they deserve more attention or more support, especially financial support. We reach out to them, we try to create an entire campaign, and then we utilize our, um, our bridge gapping of sorts, our bridge gapping efforts uh, to connect the community and mobilize our community to support this uh, charity for the quarter or for the, for the month or for the year. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting time that we live in right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, with, uh, with COVID and obviously what's been happening uh, in America uh, as of late. The Prom Society, we're, we're kind of like just analyzing what the landscape looks like and really just trying to identify how can TPS um, benefit, you know, society in a sense. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to uh, be able to do in-person events, which is what the Prom Society does a lot of, right? Yeah, it's hard to do in-person events when we're currently in in quarantine, mm-hmm. and uh, I do have concerns of a potential second wave, and I hope that doesn't happen. You know, uh, you have to be prepared for that. I hear you. We didn't think all this was going to happen with the protests over the murder of George Floyd and people going out into the streets to support the Black Lives Matter movement. I hate to say it, but a second wave is a real concern. Without a doubt. And, you know, I know for, for us, for the, for the PP Relief Initiative, uh, if I could just kind of address a little bit about what's been going on. Uh, sure. You know, Please. We, we definitely took, uh, we actually, you know, Joanne and I and my marketing director, Bonnie Chan, who's just been so awesome, we didn't want to stay silent on the issue, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also recognized that our initiative dealing with PPE may be a little bit different with what the movement is, is right now. But we wanted to make a statement to uh, to like pretty much make a stand as to where we are on the issues. And we wanted to stand together in solidarity with the black community. Mm-hmm. I really recognize some of the contributions the black community has made as essential workers, especially in the front lines of the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that we found to be interesting, as I, I think you'll recall, we were, we did a, we, we, we have a process to analyze uh, the PPE uh, who, who are in desperate need of it, who aren't as desperate. Right, in terms of the healthcare workers exactly. that are applying for it, right? Exactly. So, like, you know, the priority ones, two, threes, and fours. Coincidentally, when we were looking at who are a lot of the level ones that were in need, a lot of the healthcare workers that we were benefiting also came from black communities. Mm-hmm. And it made us, we kind of stumbled across this realization that the access of PPE is another form of racial inequalities that are happening in America. Mm-hmm. And we found that we found when when we came to that kind of that awareness, you know, we felt even more emboldened to try to mm-hmm. try to support the communities that we're trying to help. You know, mm-hmm. so understanding that, you know, we wanted to make sure we, we let people know where we stand on the issue, and mm-hmm. at the same time, in our statement uh, that we that we put out on our Instagram. PPE.relief, by the way, people want to follow us. Okay. Uh, we also wanted to let the protesters know that we celebrate their courage. Uh, right. That, you know, we, we recognize the need for for us to amplify the voices that are, mm-hmm. you know, that are being affected uh, by yep. this happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to also provide some, some tips as to how you can uh, protest um, with COVID-19 in mind. So okay. wear a mask, bring yep. hand sanitizers, do your mm-hmm. best to avoid shaking hands or make physical contact. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try your very best to have social distancing. Uh, and then after you're done protesting, we highly recommend it to self-quarantine for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. And if you can, yeah. uh, if you did protest, try to get a COVID-19 test approximately five days afterwards. Because any mm-hmm. earlier, you're going to, you may risk uh, a false negative. Uh, right. Or a false result in of your test. Mm-hmm. And we, mm-hmm. hey, look, we, we, we understand it's challenging to keep those tips in mind while protesting. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, given given our initiative and, you know, the the, the, the sentiment that we all shared amongst the, amongst my partner and I, we wanted to, like, at least not only let people know where we stand, uh, but also to share information to kind of help those that, you know, are, that felt compelled to protest, you know. Right. Um, right. Hopefully, hopefully, um, there won't be a, a spike in, in COVID-19 cases as a result of everything that's, that's been going on. Mm. But, you know, we've always, we were always convinced that a second wave was a risk uh, yeah. that, that yeah. it could happen. So that yeah. was one of the reasons why, you know, we at the, the PP Relief Initiative, we wanted mm-hmm. to keep going and keep moving uh, yeah. faster. Yeah. Because yeah. to be able to, to prepare healthcare workers for a mm-hmm. second wave, Mm-hmm. It's us learning our lessons as to what happened in the first wave. Right, right. Okay, workers were just right. not prepared, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's the and there's and I'm not saying that's the healthcare workers' fault. You know, there's definitely a lot of factors in play of what the entire PPE supply chain. Uh, yeah. I don't have to get into it too much, but mm-hmm. we wanted to make sure that they were prepared this time. You know. Yeah, yeah. So that's why, uh, yeah, that's why we are you know really big believers in the supply kit. Um, and what do you see beyond uh, the crowdfunding campaign in terms of the future for uh, the PPE relief initiative? Thought about that? Yeah, yeah, we definitely have. Uh, we haven't exactly come up with an exact plan. We have some ideas as to what we want mm-hmm. to do. I think mm-hmm. right now our, our main focus is just to uh, get, you know, to, to deliver these supply kits to the healthcare workers, try to get to them as fast as we can, uh, try to get our try to hit our goal of the fundraiser as fast as we can so I can apply more of my efforts to just delivering. Uh, but then after we raise the 30000 that we're looking to raise and after we were able to make our 400th delivery because we're trying to benefit 400 healthcare workers, I think some of the things that we're looking looking to do, perhaps we can expand the the next fundraising goal, especially if there is a second wave that comes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think, yeah. I think because of the experience that we have in finding suppliers, yeah. quality of PPE that we've created, the feedback we've been getting. I think for us to try to recreate the process, but just scale it at a, at a higher level, could be something that mm-hmm. we can do. Yeah. Uh, I also think that there are other essential workers that are not getting as much attention that deserves sure. their attention that we can also benefit. Right. Uh, so we want to do our research to see who else on the front lines could we benefit mm-hmm. uh, down the road. Obviously, mm-hmm. identifying nurses and doctors and other uh, healthcare workers mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. an obvious, um, you know, uh, group of people that we can support. But hey, you know, perhaps we can use our experience to get masks for for grocery store uh, employees or for transit uh, workers, yeah, yeah. transit workers, people in the MTA, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, firefighters, police officers, sure. other yeah. like you know, um, first responders that, to you know that yeah. definitely use some some support. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's something that we can look into, but we really haven't identified it just yet, just because we're so focused. Oh yeah, I mean you have to get to this first hurdle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In the past, we've done things like uh, you know uh, hosting a date auction uh, to mm-hmm. to benefit uh, a charity. 
Uh, we've done other events like a uh, like um, doing a cooking uh, <clears throat> a cooking event at the Ronald McDonald House, which is a, uh-huh. a facility uh-huh. benefiting um, the providing facility support for families and whose children are in New York City uh, uh, seeking cancer treatments. And we would cook up a meal uh, for mm-hmm. a lot of those uh, for a lot of those people staying at the Ronald McDonald House. Uh, we've done other we've done other things that we have done. We've done uh, gift drives during the, ho- the the Christmas holidays, you know, to uh, get toys for kids from underserved communities, and uh, yeah, a whole bunch of other things we've done. You know, a lot of fundraisers, uh, a lot of you know social events to bring mm-hmm. awareness to a particular mm-hmm. organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, we've also tried to create networking events to try to bring together like-minded individuals. Right. Let them know, like, hey, here's an organization that we're trying to use as a platform to do some good. Is there anything else you'd like to share with my listeners about what you've been through? Yeah, I think, at least from the personal side, and I just want, I just want people to know that, you know, please wear a mask. Yeah, I know we're reopening as a country, but, you know, there's a lot of misinformation that's being put out there. And I think we're starting to see the results that if we continue to social distance and if we continue to wear a mask, it's not about when you wear a mask, and I'm sure a lot of people know this already, if you wear a mask, it's not about you getting sick. It's about you preventing other people from getting sick. And I think that's very important. So I, to, to anyone that's questioning whether we should wear a mask or not, um, I don't know what I can do to persuade you, but to those people who are wearing masks responsibly, perhaps I want to pose a challenge to them. Hey, if you know anyone that's not wearing a mask, remind them, wear a mask. So I think that's one thing that I definitely want to say mm-hmm. because, again, as someone who suffered COVID, this is not just the flu, okay? This is definitely something that was serious. And knowing how COVID-19 has infected a lot of the Filipino community, um, I think uh, is it hits home. It, it, this is the reason why I'm doing this entire initiative is very personal. And if PPE supplies was not an issue, we would never have started this thing. But it is an issue. Mm-hmm. So you know, let's do our part as a community to to continue to lower the curve. If there is a spike or if there is a second wave, let's try to be proactive to minimize the impact of that second wave. But yeah, that's, that'll probably be like one thing I would definitely want to share with. You. I think you know, I just want to also just say how much this experience has impacted me. This is, and when I say this experience, this the the PPE relief initiative is, mm-hmm. has made such a impact as to how I've been looking at the world. I, I got to admit, the primary reason, of course, of why I'm doing the PPE relief initiative, is because I want to help people out. Yeah. But indirectly, one person that I'm really helping was myself, mm-hmm. because the level of focus, the purpose-driven mission that we've created. It's really given me uh, an incentive to just get out of bed, number one. I'd have yeah. to mope around, like, what was me? Like, oh, I can't stop mm-hmm. business, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? That can, that can come another time. So mm-hmm. Being able to have, uh, again, a purpose has really been very rewarding for me mentally, emotionally, um, even physically. I, I've actually lost yeah. uh, almost 30 pounds now. Congratulations. Yeah, I was going to say, I noticed. Thanks, thanks. The black shirt, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. But I will say that 18 pounds of that 30 was a result of COVID. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about that. I probably should have brought up earlier. One of the things that I had was, again, I couldn't breathe. 
because I couldn't breathe. Me eating food made it uh-huh. harder to breathe. Uh-huh. So I literally res- resorted to just eating a hard-boiled egg. Oh, gee. That's my source of protein because oh, I can chew and swallow, and I can just mm-hmm. go back to bed and just uh-huh. hope I can breathe again. But outside of me losing that 18 pounds, I decided, hey, you know, let's let's try to let's try to get even healthier. And obviously. Having a quote-unquote near-death experience, I don't know how close I was to death, but I definitely felt like it yeah. uh, made me realize how I can improve some of the decisions that I make on a mm-hmm. basis to be mm-hmm. healthier. Mm-hmm. You know, and I definitely don't take that for granted anymore. I've had one soda since mid-March. I've wow, had, good I've for had you. one beer. Wow, trying to maintain a, a high-protein, low-carb diet, low-sugar diet. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, I, I hope your listeners uh, don't have to experience such a, a near death, you know, chapter, and that yeah. they, uh, you know, don't you know, they, that they uh, are, you know, they they don't take life for granted either. But yeah. This this initiative has also emboldened me to be even healthier because mm-hmm. we have a lot of energy to do what we, what we can do. But uh, yeah, I think I think another impact that this initiative has had is just the stories of the healthcare workers themselves. You know, every yeah. single person I've delivered to has their own unique story mm-hmm. uh, that they share with me when I, whenever I deliver. Every single one of them has been so gracious. And they're always saying thank you. And I always reply, yeah. no, this is our way to say thank you to the healthcare worker. Right, you know? yeah. But uh, funny story, one of them tried to tip me 20 bucks. <laughs> uh, she, you know the entire move where they like they take the 20 and they try to like yeah. it into your hand? Yeah. <laughs> You know, uh, that was one example. But like one that like really impacted me. The healthcare worker wasn't home; uh, she was at work. Mm-hmm. But her her, okay. her dad was home, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, when I dropped it off the supply kit uh, to the father, he literally said, "You know, thank you so much, Gary, for protecting my daughter." And he started to oh. choke up, and I started to choke up. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, I can only imagine the impact COVID nineteen has had not just on the healthcare worker, but on the family. Yeah, uh, he. It really made me happy to know that we can help at least provide just a little bit of peace of mind as well as the healthcare workers, parents, and family members. So it's mm-hmm. been a very rewarding experience, and I think people need to talk to a healthcare worker, try to understand more of what they've been experiencing if they're willing to share. Of course, you know. Yeah. Uh, I am a little concerned of you know the we, we talked a little bit about before the mental health issues. Yeah. I think a lot of. Uh, Healthcare workers have experienced, you know, some highly stressful and, you know, some sad things that they've seen, you know, mm-hmm. being on the front lines. And I hope, mm-hmm. I hope there's going to be appropriate mental health resources uh, mm-hmm. that they can utilize to, mm-hmm. you know, help make their lives a little bit easier after all, all is said and done. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I know healthcare workers hate to be called heroes, uh, mm-hmm. you know, because they're just doing their job. And mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they didn't sign up for what happened in the in the pandemic but you know to me i i admire every single one of them thank you so much for sharing all that uh, maybe we could do something a little bit more lighthearted. and uh is there something you'd like to share about yourself um for our listeners that people might not know about you something a little bit lighter uh i love karaoke uh-huh. and i really hope we have a world, a post-COVID world, where karaoke can happen again. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I love to cook. I actually just made this awesome uh, 48-hour sous vide short rib, Angus short rib with a Korean barbecue sauce. That was just phenomenal. 
Oh yeah, people should check out your Instagram. You often like do cooking in your stories and yeah, all that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I haven't been cooking as much as I would like because uh, a I was quarantined in the basement from May to March. I'm from March to mm-hmm. May, excuse me. And mm-hmm. I've been so busy with this initiative, but yeah. every now and then I've been cooking here and there. But uh, yeah, I can't wait to start cooking yeah. again. And I'm left-handed. Thank you so much for um, taking the time out of your schedule to share about everything that you've been through and about this amazing initiative. I you know, really want to let our listeners know about this so they could check out your GoFundMe campaign and support all the great work that you, you and your team are doing. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and been providing a platform for us to talk about our mission, to talk about some of the stories of the healthcare workers. And I also just want to say thank you so much to the, the generous donors that have been backing our efforts since day one. Obviously, uh, we would not have been able to purchase all this PPE if it wasn't for our donors. So I also just want to say thank you to them too. Great. Wonderful. Thanks for being my guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. I've been speaking with Gary Rello about the work he's been doing with the PPE Relief Initiative and his recovery from COVID-19. If you'd like to know more about the PPE Relief Initiative and how to donate to their GoFundMe campaign, we'll be sharing all of these links on our website, www.talkingtaiwan.com. There, you'll also find links about the Promise Society and how to connect with Gary on social media. If you enjoyed this episode of Talking Taiwan, please take the time to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thank you for listening to another episode of Talking Taiwan. I'm your host, Felicia Talking Taiwan is brought to you by Forumosa.com.